Welcome to The Skyward Spiral, a self-improvement and productivity podcast. I'm David Whitechapel. I'm a fiction writer and content creator, and I'm focusing on being more productive and efficient with my time and energy. I'm really interested in self-improvement and productivity and always aim to apply the best lessons I learn to my own work and practice. And I'm Brent Harris. I'm a productivity coach. And so what I do is I work with people, typically one-on-one, to guide them into high-level sustainable productivity. And how are you today, Brent? I'm good. Thank you. I'm having a good morning. Yourself? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm well. I've been having a good week so far. Um, pretty productive, getting things done. I've gotten a lot done on the podcast front, actually, which is, uh, which is really great since we've been working on that behind the scenes for a little while. Would you remind me, you have how many writing projects on the go presently? Well, I try not to have too many writing projects on the go. I, I deliberately sort of, um, what would the word be? I table them for a later date, most of them. Awesome. But the ones that are actively on the go, I would say are two. Okay. But that could easily expand to five or six if if, if I was not deliberately sort of pushing these you know, whack-a-mole style ideas now. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. And part of the reason why I ask is because I find that in my own life, and I think this is happens with a lot of people as well, where I'll be in this place where everything is relatively organized. So say like I have a certain number of clients that I'm seeing and I have a certain number of responsibilities to take care of in my life. And, you know, we're working on this podcast together and there's just a certain amount of stuff that I'm doing. And and if I'm lucky, I can get everything under control so that I know exactly what I'm doing and when and my energy is in balance and, and I'm good. But then as soon as that happens, as soon as everything's under control and slotted in place and I feel comfortable, I find that's the time where I start giving myself more to do and I start assigning myself greater tasks and kind of reaching a little bit higher. And then what will happen as a result is that I will give myself a whole bunch to do. And a lot of it will be stuff that I've never done before. So in my own life now, I'm currently focusing on product creation. So creating courses and, you know, making them really good and selling them ideally. And, and so that's where my head's at lately, but I'm also kind of in, I've begun a few other additional things as well. And because I'm behind the learning curve on a lot of it, my life has taken on a more chaotic element. And so sometimes certain things are in balance and then sometimes other things are in balance at the expense of the the former things. And I realized, it just became clear to me that the whole game now is to figure out how to chew what I've bitten off. Like the whole game is to figure out how to properly balance everything that I've started and to bring it all into order. And then as soon as I can do that, you know, then like that's when I'll kind of chill. But then, you know, the next most difficult phase will begin after that as well. And so it really seems for myself, and I think for a lot of people such as yourself, myself, you know, kind of creatives and people who are like producing a lot, especially on their own. It's kind of a matter of sort of throwing out ahead or, or um, jumping into a certain amount of controlled chaos and then figuring out how to create order out of it only to do it again and just kind of go about it that way. Would that be accurate? Is that how it feels like for you? I do think that's true. And and sometimes I do get a real rush out of um, taking on more stuff or like generating new ideas to do. I mean, 
I told you I'm tamping down how many writing projects I'm working mm-hmm. on, but I do have this podcast, of course, and then I've got other little irons in the fire. I mentioned this on the first episode, actually. I think I typified it as spinning plates and learning how to spin them as I'm spinning them, right? Right. Um, and that's true. And I think I do learn well like that, and I think I do respond strongly to that as long as I'm in the right mm-hmm. zone, uh, which is something that uh, is relevant to our topic today, actually. But... Um, yeah, I have to be careful not to overload myself. And the other thing that I'm very wary of is starting things and not really having a view to finishing them. I think finishing uh, projects is very important um, and and making complete work and putting it out there is very important. And that's something very relevant in the writing world because you can be working on a novel, let's say a 100,000 uh, word novel, and you can be you know hacking away at it a few thousand words at a time it still takes a long time to get to 100,000 words and it's even longer to edit them and get them to a place where you're really happy right. with them. Uh, which is why I always say my advice for writers is always to write short pieces, short stories, uh, novellas, anything of smaller length and finish them to get a feeling of what it's like to finish rather than always starting new projects and then really going in to critique them and not feeling happy with them and never finish. Right, them. right. Well, then, because if you start something and you don't finish it, like, so if you, and you're not even really abandoning it either, you just start something and then put it on the shelf and it just remains on the shelf essentially permanently, that's hard because then what happens is it doesn't just go away, but it occupies like a little amount of our unconscious mind it just kind of takes a little bit of our processing power just to remain there and in you know we will will forget about it. it's not something like we you know it's possible to have a project that we start and we don't complete we put on the the back burner and we just kind of forget about it for a long period of time except that we don't really forget about it because it'll just kind of it'll randomly occur to us in 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 other times in our life, say like just as you're falling asleep or as you're kind of going from one place to the other, it's like, oh yeah, I need to get around to that one thing eventually. And then if, and there are people, like I've met a lot of people who actually, you know, over the course of their career, they just start tons and tons and tons, sometimes hundreds in extreme cases, hundreds of things that they never finish. And then it just becomes this big looming black cloud that just kind of like weighs on a person. And, and then when you get to a place like that, it's like either attempting to, to get to that, like attempting to take on that big amount of work in some way or another, or just like switch channels and just procrastinate. And, uh, and thus, you know, not, that's not really helpful either. And so, you know, usually it becomes, I think you've discovered this. It's like, it's really helpful to be very careful about how many open loops we carry. Like in other words, like how many open commitments or how many things that have started that are as yet incomplete and, keeping that list as small as we possibly can so that we can allocate as much of our attention to one thing or as few amount of things as possible. And that's where all the, the power is in completing things. Yeah. So my technique for that, I mean, I've never had a problem with generating ideas and that's something I'm thankful Same. for, obviously as a creative. Um, but uh, obviously you can't finish every idea as they arrive. Uh and you don't want them taking up your headspace. So I call this process of what I do uh, decanting, like decanting a bottle of wine. Um, so I imagine in my mind's eye, I'm taking this idea and I'm just putting it in a jar and putting it on the shelf or something like that, right? So I have all of these, and that's typically um, that's typically uh, enacted in the real world by me writing it down 
and trying not to really think about it anymore. Writing down every all of my thoughts about it in one place. And uh, I have a few different sort of note-taking apparatus I use, digital note-taking. And I pop it all in there, and then I don't have to think about it anymore. It's there. It's uh, and I'm I can be uh, I can be happy that it's safe and and stored for whenever I want to refer back to it. So that has made a big improvement to my management of my own ideas is storing these jars on the shelf, and then when I'm ready to uh, select a new project. In fact, this podcast was one such project. Uh, this podcast used to be a jar on the shelf, and um, then we started it and I pulled it down and worked on it. Um, before that, it was just a, a, you know, a little idea to, to do something productivity related in the podcast world. And I've got many jars on the shelf. I've got many shelves and many jars on the shelf waiting to be selected one day. Uh, but I have been very deliberate in, I would say the past two years to really choose what I'm going to work on today and in the near future and try and imagine timescales for these things, uh, which I've been way off on, to be honest. That happens. And try and commit to finishing these things before starting a new project. Awesome, man. But it is tricky. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. So I, uh, for today's episode, I wanted to get into the subject of flow. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so it's, um, this is, it's kind of a concept that I've been working on for a long time. And there are some things about it that I figured out. And that I use in my life with like great results and, you know, with client work, great results. But there are other elements of flow that just remain mysterious to me. I have not figured out. I don't even know if I can figure it out. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about that with you too, David, if that's good for you. Sure. I think probably what I'll do is like, I'll start by just kind of describing like the textbook definition of flow. And, we'll, and, and then I'll be curious about your experiences with it and kind of what it's like for you. And then we'll just kind of take it from there. Let's do it. All right, cool, cool. So, okay, so flow was a term that was first coined by a a psychologist, a researcher whose name is very difficult to pronounce, but it, it sounds somewhat like Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I also practiced a bit before pronouncing it, so that sounded good to me. Did you? Cool. All right. <laughs> Can I hear yours? Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Oh, perfect. You know, so it's... it's we might both be wrong. Who knows? Yeah, 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 very likely. And, uh, and he just put out this one book, to my knowledge, and it's like, and I, it's a kind of a smallish book, but the pages are really dense. It kind of, it reads a little, to me a little bit more like a scientific journal than like kind of a conventional sort of pop culture book. And, uh, and in it, what he does is he talks about the state of flow and about all the different ways to achieve flow and kind of what it means. And so like the basic idea, the basic premise of flow is that it is an engaged creative state that all human beings are designed to basically fall into. It's a very natural state. And, and not only that, but children, like all of us, like as children, we come out of the factory just like already being in flow. And so it emerges when we're in play. And so when you see kids just inventing games of play, uh, whether it's like pretend or whether it's like tag or hide and seek or, you know, just kind of like running around – and you see kids like naturally and spontaneously coming up with rule systems and and like a lot of these games will have certain 
um, themes that are consistent amongst all children. But whenever you look at any one of these games, you'll see that it's very unique and very creative. And there's, there just seems to always be something fresh and new that these children come up with that comes up um, from this state of flow that they're in. And so typically what happens is that as we kind of go about our lives and we go into adulthood, we tend to go less into flow. And part of it is because we take on a lot of psychology that prevents it from happening. So like a lot of insecurity, a lot of fear, stress, worry, nervousness. And, uh, and then we, uh, and then kind of that sort of fun, creative flow element of our work tends to, be more muted. It tends to go back into the background and only comes out in very particular times. So in general, flow comes out when we are working on a project that is just like the right amount of challenge for us. So it's like interesting. It's not so difficult as to be overwhelming. It's not so simple as to be boring. Um, it feels like an appropriate amount of work for us. So it has like a certain, it's, it's worthy and it's, not something that we feel like, oh, like, you know, why do I have to do this? Somebody else should do this kind of thing. And that is flow. And so that's how flow works. And I guess like kind of the final point that I want to add on here is that flow can be, I've discovered it can be found on a micro and a macro level. So micro in the sense of you can be, say, washing the dishes or painting a picture or, you know, or exercising or whatever it is. And by the way, it's usually when we're doing something as opposed to consuming content. So it's not like when we're like watching TV or, you know, or listening to a podcast necessarily, but when we're actually kind of either doing or creating or actually kind of making something happen out in the world. That's how flow comes about. And so it can happen on a micro level, but it can also happen on a macro level in the sense that we, our, our, the texture of our lives, if we're in flow enough on the micro level, we can actually experience a macro state of flow over the course of our lives on a day by day and a week by week basis. And, and it's generally an argument that I make that the highest level of productivity is actually found in attaining that sort of macro level flow state on a day by day, week by week basis. So that's how flow works. Right. Yeah. And so I guess, yeah. So I was curious, David, do you, do you feel that you experience a lot of flow in your life and, and when does it come about and is it natural and spontaneous or have you found ways to control it even where it's like you can go into flow uh, at will? Yeah. Good question. Um, so I uh, I didn't have enough time to read the whole uh, Chicks at Mihai book, um, but I dipped into it and I, uh, I I looked at his. He has a TED talk, which I'll also put in the um, description of the podcast if you want to check that out. Um, and uh, watched a few other videos, listened to your podcast about it to learn more about flow. And y- yeah, it sounds like um, your description's pretty uh, pretty correct. I also noticed that he he describes it as. Um, he typifies flow as optimal experience, and in the in in the very beginning of the book, actually, he uh, suggests that flow is a route to happiness because people who are in flow are generally happier people. So he starts off with a description of how happiness is distributed and how it doesn't always correspond to things that you might think it corresponds to, such as wealth. Obviously, there's a flaw. If you're poor, you're going to have you know severe uh, issues in life that are going to prevent you being happy. But above a certain wealth. Uh, more money doesn't necessarily make you happier. But what does make you happier, uh, Chicks at Mihai says, is flow. 
However, I'm not that interested in being happy, actually. <laughs> and this podcast is not about being happy. I think it can be a useful side effect. But I'm interested in being productive and I'm interested in making the things that uh, I have on my mind to make. But flow is also very relevant to that because um, even though it can be typified as optimal experience in the sense of it's uh, mood boosting and uh, feel good and, you know, increases contentment with life and fulfillment, it's also a state in which you're the most likely to improve at something or to learn something new or to push a boundary that you haven't pushed before. For example, the I mean, the examples that uh, he gives in the book are, for example, many sporting examples where people are pushing the, uh, the limits of their bodies to do things and to break records and to uh, win medals uh, against the odds. And he also includes musical examples where people are playing at a level that they haven't played at before. So the creative act is, I think, inextricably linked in with this idea of flow. Um, and yeah, to come to your question, Brent, yes, I've experienced it many times in my life. Uh, and that is something I associate very deeply with just being creative. And I would say really in terms of what I can say to the listener of this podcast it's really going to be geared towards people like me who know they have experienced this flow and know what it's like to be that kind of creative. If you don't think that you've experienced flow, well, I suspect you probably have, and you should probably search for where that flow is. Right. But a lot of my perspective on productivity and on creativity and on getting things done is from the point of view of someone who seeks out that flow state and wants to maximize its returns, basically. So... Hopefully uh, some of our listeners are, are like that and they, they know what that feels like and they just want to go back to it. In terms of when I have um, when I felt it in my life, um, I do feel it when writing, although writing it's a funny thing because you're not, uh, it's, it's very um, in and out. You're sort of bouncing in and out of uh, different modes you, when you're writing fresh prose or when you're editing or when you're uh, sort of moving pieces around. It's a sort of complicated set of different act activities that isn't exactly like a pure flow experience i would say although on a macro level you know on a more macro level maybe it is however i also i've brought this up in the podcast before that i play piano very much when i'm just sort of losing myself in the piano that is very much a flow experience in the sense that i'm not thinking about uh, where my hands go or even um what i'm going to play necessarily uh it's it's very natural brain to fingertips and it's really like nothing else it, there's not a lot of words to describe this particular feeling um hence the use of the word flow i like how you put that yeah if i can jump in there like i, I really i like how you put that and i think that's appropriate because it's the idea is that there is just a connection from the brain to the fingertips while you're playing piano and there's no intermediary jump between uh, like uh, intermediary stopover at the mind where the mind is editing or evaluating or judging or planning. It's, it's not, we, we bypass that all entirely and we allow what's happening to happen spontaneously. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what I found is that in these moments, just as with the example of when you watch children playing games and kind of inventing games, there's an inventive element where what's emerging is unprecedented. It actually, it comes without precedent. It's not, there's no, here we go. When we create 
from the mind. So in other words, when we allow the mind to mediate the creation process or the action process, at best, what we'll come up with is just a recombination of old ways of thinking, of pre-thought thoughts and pre-understood ideas and just a recombination like, like, like of um, putting Legos together in a slightly different way. And yet when we're doing something from flow and, and we're not mediated by the mind, the mind stream, then something very fresh occurs. We just, we find ourselves going off in new paths that we just never explored before. And, and that tends to be a, a really cool thing. And if we can record that and capture it and then, you know, refine it and then like the mind kind of comes back in a little bit later for say the editing process and so forth, um, it can be really good. In fact, I hold this personal conviction that, Whenever we hear a song on the radio that we like, or if we ever watch a movie or a TV show that just for some reason, we just really like it and we don't really know why. And there's nothing about it that's particularly complicated or like, um, seem to, to take a, uh, uh, an enormous amount of effort to create, you know, something that seemed to come about very effortlessly, but there's yet some quality about it that we just find almost hypnotic and we just like to return to it and send it to our friends. My personal theory is that it actually was created from flow in the sense that it was created not from the creator's personal bank of pre-thought thoughts, but instead there was actually an opening in between their thoughts, in between their mind stream for something new and fresh to come through. And, and that's the sort of thing that makes it so attractive and so powerful. Yeah, that's uh, a really interesting way to type about it. So you're, you're talking about flow as a pathway for novelty. Yes, the pathway. Right. And I think that's really interesting and and i i'd have to think about for a while for a while if that is true or if that is always the case mm -hmm. but it seems to ring true for me so far and i think it's important to i mean creative listeners will already understand this but the idea of novelty uh, the fact that novelty exists is an amazing thing and trying to maximize that not maximize it in the terms of volume but maximize the uh your use of it when it occurs and being able to tap into that novel stream of thought is obviously a really tr useful trait for a creative. Yeah. And you know, it, it, within uh, artists, uh, among artists, the idea comes of an artist having a certain voice or a certain style. And I would say that is them tapping into that particular, you know, pathway between flow and novelty. Well, yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because there's sort of, this brings me to the, what we could call the esoteric or the mysterious element of flow. Because on one hand, it's like, it's very knowable and basic and you can, there's a really hard science that can be made out of it where it's like, okay, like, you know, here's, you know, I, I, I believe, I, I can't say for sure, but I think they actually even have done like brain imaging in terms of like the certain brain waves that are emphasized when a person is in flow as opposed to not in flow. And it's like, it's different. And, and there's, there are a lot of measurable qualities about it. But I've also found that when we enter into flow, and especially if we can really surrender to it. So in other words, we're letting go of um, our we're letting go of how we think this particular thing is supposed to play out. We let go of 
our attachment of getting to the finish line or our attachment for what's supposed to happen after we finish whatever it is we're working on. And we let go of all of that and we just enter into that really pure creative space. And we, we even allow ourselves to follow it instead of leading it so much. Then what actually happens is we are we're picking up the thread for the manifestation of our inner potential. So I, I, I've found myself in my own life burdened by this idea of having potential where it's like, okay, wow, there's like, you know, I had like adults looking at me and they're like, oh, hey, like, you know, you, you can do so much when you grow up. And it's like, you know, I, and I, I think it's a really common experience for a lot of children, you know, to kind of be told, oh my God, you're going to be amazing when you grow up. And, and then you actually grow up and it's like, well, what do I do? Like, what do I actually do about this supposed potential that's supposed to be there? Regardless of, of, you know, the, um, you know, the, the quality of that potential, whatever it is, just that sense of like, I'm here to put out some sort of offering into the world. I'm here to offer some kind of gift to, to, really give up what is in me to give over the course of this lifetime, whatever it is. And I, I want to do it and I want to figure out how to offer it. And there's something about entering into flow that shows us how to actually make good on that potential, on how to actually manifest it. So we can actually find clues by tapping into flow. Yeah, that's interesting. There's a couple of sides to it in the sense that there's a very scientific side. And yeah, there's a more, um, how did you put it, esoteric side, mm -hmm. which you can explore. I would uh, veer more towards the scientific hard side uh, and more towards really trying to leverage the knowledge that flow exists and what it is uh, to try and apply it um, to my life kind of thing, to my creative life. Mm -hmm. So I had some thoughts about that as well. Um, First, I want to talk about, uh, I was editing the podcast yesterday, editing previous episodes. And previously, I've noticed that I've been dreading editing the podcast because I don't, mm. I didn't enjoy editing that much. But funnily enough, I noticed this time because I had to do something new. I was, I was um, doing some stuff with the music and moving some bits around. And I found myself actually looking forward to it a little bit. And then when I, when I was uh, editing, I actually found... I don't know if I'd say I enjoyed it, but I think I entered a flow state just with editing. And perhaps I've done it enough now that, um, yeah, so Csikszentmihalyi talks about this, the relative uh, comparison of the level of skill and the level of challenge. And I wonder if I, my skill, now that I've been editing, audio editing for a little bit, has risen to meet the challenge at a level that I actually enjoy it, that I'm capable Mm -hmm. But I still am presented with some challenge and uh, intellectual sort of uh, difficulty, but in a way that I can manage. And yeah, and it ended up being an enjoyable experience. So I thought that was really interesting. This idea of um, needing the same, uh, of needing to balance the skill with the challenge mm -hmm. is a very interesting one. So the idea is that if you're, if the challenge is too great and the skill is too little, you'll find the experience frustrating. And if the challenge is too low and the skill is much greater, you'll find the experience boring. And the ideal flow state can be found and maximized at the point where skill and challenge meet, basically. Well, I, I almost wonder 
in this case, if it's not the the part of being over like um, teetering on the boundary of being overwhelmed by challenge, but if it's actually the opposite, if it's actually teetering on the boundary of being bored, because no, I think this was the other way around. Yeah, yeah, really. And well, I, I'll just explain like why I say that, and you can tell me if I'm still wrong. But like, I, I think the the reason why I say that is that like when it comes to editing, everything about it is known in the sense that. There's no step in the editing process that you don't know how to do. It's just that it would, in order to do it properly and kind of get it all the way to complete, it would take a lot of time and effort and you are not so interested in the editing process. Like there's a part of you that just wants to complete it and get to the other side of editing as quickly as possible and feels dismayed with all the individual steps that there are ahead. And to me, that that's boredom. I understand what you're saying. And yeah, there is an element of boredom in, you know, in editing a podcast, you're basically listening back to the same thing, at least, you know, one and a half times over, um, mm-hmm. if not more. And, and there is an element of tedium to that. But it was genuinely challenged. When I think about it, my experience with audio editing before I was that happy with it as I was yesterday was frustration. And yesterday, I'll tell you, for example, I just have some i don't want to get too in the weeds about audio editing but i i now know certain um key commands certain shortcuts key shortcuts uh that i can just access and i know what um you know my mastery of the program and of the interface has increased so i'm just more confident in what i can do and uh you know can even be quite experimental and 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 you know play basically play with the with the technology a little bit to get what i want out of it and that experience i think yeah i think you're right that it is boring in a general sense to listen to the same audio a lot but i actually think that my skill rose to meet the challenge however i do want to talk about the opposite way around because that also made me Mm. really think um because you're right sometimes an experience may be unpalatable or unattractive because it is boring and i think i have found that with writing before and this is something i want to test out uh, in the days to come if i'm not looking forward to writing something because it's boring a potential solution to that is to increase the challenge increase the difficulty uh, and try and write something more challenging and i think that's really interesting because that that should alleviate this feeling of boredom of you know almost it being too easy or not not necessarily too easy but too work a day uh and and push it into something more interesting what uh what would it look like in this case in the case of the podcast uh no in the case of say writing and making it more difficult in order to be appropriately challenging well yeah okay again i don't want to get into too much into the weeds of writing this is neither an audio editing nor a writing podcast but no i think it's good i think this is uh i think it's because it's uh you know it's one example and and i think that um like whatever like this can easily be copied into what other you know whatever else we might be working on that requires this kind of focus sure sure okay so apply it as you will i will give my specific example and and you can you know generalize it i would say you know so i have a certain scene in mind that i want to write let's say and i'm just not that interested in writing it and it's the it's the right scene to come in the next part of the story um or whatever i'm writing but I'm just not that interested in writing it. However, if I then tinker with the scene, with the outline of the scene a little bit, and inject something that I haven't necessarily written about before, or, you know, some action or romance, or you know, an element which is unusual or foreign to me, at least in combination, that spices it up a little bit. 
there is actually a rising maxim already for writer's block. And I wonder if this isn't basically the same thing. There's a, a, a writer's uh, sort of idea. It's a bit of a sort of silly idea. But the idea is when, you're, when you have writer's block um, and, you're, and you're stuck in the middle of a manuscript, uh, add ninjas in. So throw ninjas in. Ninjas attack. And you start writing that. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it's pretty silly. But the idea is that once you once you write that ninjas attack, now you have to deal with that, right? Now your characters... I mean, you could be writing a novel that has nothing to do with ninjas, by the way, and you just have ninjas attack. Yeah. <laughs> once you write the resolution of this ninja story, what happens then? Chances are, once you've written this uh, bit of ninja action, you'll you'll still have stuff to go. And... Basically, this this little bit of nonsense seeds uh, a, a, a more interesting kind of tree and branches of of creativity. And I wonder if that's not basically the same as sort of exposing or, or engendering a flow state in the writer. I think that's so. It's interesting because that's a good way of going about it. There's there's another way of going about this too, which it's kind of like coming at it from the opposite side. And it's also very important, especially if you're doing something that you can't, you just can't make interesting, you know, or like you don't, you say it's like washing the dishes or mopping the floor or like something where like, you know, we can't really offer that kind of level of creative control. And usually when we approach these kinds of tasks, there's, there's something about it where like every time this sort of task comes around, like, you know, to take mopping the floor, for example, where it's just something that we just have to do once a week or however regularly, that whenever it comes around, we'll be like, oh, God, like, I don't want to. And there's a sense of just wanting to get to the other side. And what we're doing mentally is we're sort of projecting ourselves into the future where when it's done and we're just trying to get to that point as quickly as we possibly can and in order to just get out of this experience of mopping the floor. And so whenever we enter into any kind of activity where we're just trying to get to the end, we've actually already committed ourselves for an experience of suffering, of some form of suffering. You know, it's in, you know, that might be a... You know, like it's not maybe like the intense sort of suffering, but just like a sort of boredom or or anxiety or just like, you know, like that kind of sense of like, oh, like, uh, like I just I, I don't like this and I want to get to the end. And so then the solution in this case would be to look at this sort of activity and adopt a willingness to engage with the activity directly without trying to get through it. The optimal kind of condition for flow I found like regarding the outcome is it's, it's just like the model is whenever we're playing a video game, we're playing a video game that we really like. The whole idea is the effort is aimed at getting to the end. So we're on level one and we want to get to level 10. And that's very much what the effort is toward. And yet simultaneously, we're not trying to get to the end any quicker than we have to. So the whole process is allowed to take as long as it needs to take. And we are fully, fully, fully engaged with every single step of the journey as we go from level one to level 10. We're not, for example, we're not playing one and already thinking about level five or level eight. That wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't. But yeah, that's kind of what we're doing when we're washing dishes or when we're mopping. And so, so in order to reestablish flow, we would need to surrender our urgency. And we need to surrender our impatience. And the way to do that is to surrender or give up or just kind of, just kind of like release this idea that the next moment 
the next activity is going to be better than this activity. Like for the longest time in my own life, I would realize that I had, I had actually divided certain tasks into the ones that I like and the ones that I don't like. It's kind of strange. And, and what I notice is that whenever I'm doing a task that I don't like, you know, like again, like sort of something like cleaning or taking out the garbage or some element of my work, or maybe it's the commute or something and whatever it is. And, and I'll be, I'll be working on it. And in my head, it's like, when can I just get back to my laptop? Like, when can I get back to the place where I'm sitting in front of my laptop and kind of browsing Reddit or something? And so it was through releasing the preferential treatment of activities, releasing the hierarchy of activities where I have this idea that playing games on my laptop is better than mopping. It sounds so weird, right? But it's actually, that's how it works, where it's, I let go of that so that Mopping is just as fine a thing to do as anything else. Then that gives me the wherewithal to engage directly with the act of mopping. And I can bring my attention right into every stroke of, of mopping. And, and then as I do that, then the sense of impatience and urgency disappears. And I can just do it. And then, and then strangely enough, from that place of just kind of acceptance, there's a certain sense of enjoyment that comes up. And that's how you transmute a boring activity into a flow activity. Absolutely. I think you're right. I, I, there's some um, dialogue about this, I believe, in Zen circles, in Buddhist Zen circles, Buddhist and Zen circles, mm -hmm. about making these mundane tasks uh, meditative. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's I think that's what you're getting at there. Uh, and I, I enjoy washing the dishes. And I think it's because for me, it has become one of those activities and another one that i do nowadays is i go for a walk and a walk is a very it's it's on that end of low challenge low skill but it again allows you to enter that mm -hmm. flow state uh in a sort of natural way where you're just going for a walk or whatever it's not very difficult but it's not uh it also is um kind of uh this meditative experience it can be Similarly, it's interesting what you say about typifying. I was going to bring up video games as well. Uh, so it's interesting what you say about um, mopping or washing the dishes in video games, because I was just thinking washing the dishes kind of is a game. Uh, it, it, you can frame it as a game if you want, right? You you wash X number of dishes. You right. have to get them clean and don't miss any spots. And when you uh, your reward is that the dishes are washed, right? The dishes are clean. So right. it, there is a game aspect to it if you want it there um a lot of this is in your mind about as you say people divide tasks into things that they want to do and things that they don't want to do but a lot of that might be very arbitrary well yeah uh, i wanted to ask you brent mm -hmm. has this idea of flow come up i know you work with a lot of creative uh individuals within mm -hmm. your among your clients uh has this idea of flow come up a lot in those discussions well yeah yeah it has yeah because like you know in my life right like everything is just like kind of focused on productivity and 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 how to be in productivity and and so and i've been able to kind of hone down the practice of productivity into four basic kind of pillars like so the first one being like having your priorities in order and your main vision uh number two being your strategy and kind of knowing exactly what you intend to do and having the wherewithal to stick to a single strategy as opposed to abandoning it uh number three is kind of like daily execution and overcoming procrastination. And for the longest time, it was just those three things, priority, strategy, execution. But what I found is that if we just focus on all of those, then you kind of end up 
sort of along this line of thought or this line of questioning, which is like, how can I just get the most amount of stuff done? And how can I get the most amount of productivity out of myself? And, and so you and I, we met on Reddit, right? On r slash get disciplined. And what were like, you know, we, like you found something I posted there. And, and so, and what I find is that when I'm, when I'm on r slash get disciplined, there are a lot of people who are asking exactly that question. It's like, you know, how can I get more out of myself? How can I push myself to go further and further? And then the problem with that is that like when we go about things that way, like it leads us on this like total burnout course and into a sort of a form of self-abuse where it's like we're playing the kind of the role of the angry manager with ourselves and the fearful wage working employee. And so that's how this fourth piece came about, which is the element of flow. And so when we bring in flow, what we're doing is we're paying attention a little bit more to our energies and our moods, and we're working a little bit more with ourselves. And we're kind of finding this balance between the part where we push and we do discipline and we really do our best to stick with our commitments. And then this other part where we're kind of moving a little bit more intuitively and we kind of sense when it's time to stick with something and when it's time to relent or kind of, you know, uh, take our foot off the gas in order to kind of conserve our energies and move forward and, and to get ready for the next wave of, of activity or output. And so, yes, yeah, so it comes up, it comes up a lot, a lot, especially with people who have already mastered the first three elements. And so like, there's a certain section of people that I work with where like, they'll come to me asking for better ways to abuse themselves or push themselves to injury. And I'll be like, no, no, no. Like, like, like the mysterious thing about flow is that, and this is the toughest, toughest pill to swallow, but I see it as really like the greatest next level threshold into sustainable high level productivity. And it's this, it's trust. It's trust that when we've done a certain amount of stuff over the course of the day, that it's actually enough and that we have done enough in one given day, or we have done enough over the course of the week, or that we've tried hard enough, or that we've applied ourselves fully enough. There's a certain leap of trust that's required where, where when we're getting these messages from, say, like our body or our energies or like kind of like the more sort of um, just like the physical aspects of ourselves, when we're getting these messages to slow down or maybe to let go of something that we've been kind of gripping too hard, to trust those kinds of messages and to go with them and and to bring in a certain element of trust as well that, well, really, it, yeah, it's that enough piece that we're doing enough and and going hard enough. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's it. And so when we do that, that's how we can actually enter into a sense of a groove. Whereas before it was a burnout course, now it's a cyclical groove where we're actually kind of, we're leading it, but also following it. And we're sort of merging with it in a, a strange way. I guess that kind of sounds a little crazy to say, but but yeah, so that's how that's the sort of shape that the conversation will take when we start getting into flow. A skyward spiral, some might say. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, and so that's the idea. And so like, like I've had, I've had tastes of it in my own life and, and I continue to do, it's not constant, right? I like when I was speaking a little bit earlier, like speaking personally, my life has taken on the macro flow element that kind of comes in and out 
you know, maybe maybe 70-30, 70% flow and 30%, you know, out of flow. And it's just, it's so good. And there's just this sense of momentum that comes in underneath that feels like it's beyond me. And, and that's the esoteric element. And I don't know exactly what it is or what to call it or how to describe it or how to better even speak about it. But there's a certain momentum that seems to carry me with it as I practice moving into these macro levels of flow. And so that, and it's, it's really good. And, uh, and I've come into this place where I, I want as many people as possible to experience it. Right. Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention this, uh, video games as well, because I was also going to bring that up. You brought it up earlier. Uh, video games are basically designed to put you in a flow state. A good video game is. And, uh, that design is very interesting because we can think about applying that own design to our lives or to tasks in uh in our everyday lives i actually have uh i want to make some content for youtube about analyzing story and video games and one of the elements i want to analyze is this concept of flow within video games and, and how well they take advantage of that and i played a video game recently uh called the tetris effect i think it's called it's a tetris game but it's really designed to evoke flow in a very powerful way or i believe it is it has this uh, very sort of uh zen background uh, imagery and then very what would the word be atmospheric music and it's actually in vr as well i didn't play it in vr but you can even play it in vr so your entire experience is just tetris and it really pushes you because it, the speed sort of changes so it really uh challenges you as well so it, the challenge meets your skill and in that sense it's a very well designed video game to sort of hit that flow and you can definitely just lose track of time completely and forget about anything else except just playing this game and uh, when I've been at my best writing prose wise, um, you know, writing thousands of words in a session, I completely lose track of time. And, and that's absolutely this this element of flow. And the real trick and the real uh, task is to figure out how we can engineer those flow states for ourselves as creatives. So getting down to brass tacks about this, like getting down to some practical elements of this, at least things that I've thought of for myself, um, the most crucial idea for me is this idea of challenge meeting skill and of trying to make sure you're not either bored or frustrated with the experience with your creative experience mm -hmm. um and that's also that's not only a, a recipe for flow where you can get a lot done but it's also a recipe for improvement where you can learn new things uh i'm trying to learn new things all the time uh, i i'm trying to learn um to be a better artist for example that's a little other hobby of mine and I find it very difficult. Uh, th that's something where I'm definitely on the frustrated side because I want to do my vision exceeds my ability all the time. I have a, an idea in my head of what I want to create and I can't actually make it happen. Right. So I suspect what I need to do is bring the difficulty down, bring the challenge down and work my way up. Makes sense. And and this might even be point two, you know, for like, you know, one of the main takeaways is to release impatience, release urgency, and instead step into the sense of it will take as long as it takes. It will take as long as it needs to take. Absolutely. Absolutely. In the sense of video game, I thought you said a very interesting thing about this, uh, you know, in the level of a video game, you're, when you're on level one, you're not thinking about level five. And I think that's very true. I, I, I want to talk really briefly about how I learned to play piano. Uh, which is that I'm largely self-taught. I did have lessons before as a child, but then at some point I quit because I was just very frustrated with the piano lessons at the time. I was a very unruly child in some ways. Um, 
But then I decided one day I wanted to play this song that I heard on TV. It's actually Hallelujah. Uh, not the Jeff Buckley version, but one in Shrek, as it happens. I remember that experience very well. And I decided to sort of pick it out on the piano, note by note, and figure out how it went. And my learning of piano from there on was uh, an exercise in setting myself small challenges and seeing if I could complete them. And when I could complete that, I set myself another challenge. Can I play this song? Can I work out this sequence of chords? Can I, uh, can I play with my eyes closed? Can I play with my hands stretched out like this? Can I play these strange chords? Can I play this written music? Can I sight read this written music? Just a sequence of challenges, just pushing myself more and more completely uh, on my own. I didn't have a teacher at this point. Obviously, a teacher would be designed to push uh, you for your learning. But on your own, you teach yourself by pushing yourself and setting these small challenges. And I, I, I found that a very uh, core experience in terms of whenever I think about that, that reminds me how I can learn to do anything. That reminds me that I can learn to do anything by approaching it in the same way of giving myself these little challenges and pushing myself just a little bit further each time and entering that flow state. Awesome. Right on. Well, yeah, I think, uh, I think that's what I got on the topic. So yeah. So where are we at so far in terms of like the main takeaways? So it's, Oh yeah. The three main takeaways. Mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. Good point. Should I give the first one? Yes, please. My number one takeaway is a very practical one that I'm just mentioned which is if you want to maximize flow in your own life, maximize this flow experience, try and calibrate the challenge to your level of skill. Obviously your level of skill is something that dynamically changes slowly, but challenge, you know, the challenge you set for yourself in the moment is something that can be uh, calibrated immediately. So you can, you can more easily enter that flow state if you select the appropriate challenge for your level of skill. Number two is to, release impatience for getting to the end for getting on to the next thing and instead move into this basic willingness to allow the task to take as long as it's going to take oh sorry that's something i wanted to say about piano as well Mm. is is i never had in my in my mind's eye when i was learning all of that i never wanted to be a pianist or i never wanted to be good at piano i just had these small little goals one by one so while in, in our Skyward episode, I think we talked about having this long-term goal about really, you know, stating and, and emphasizing your wildest dreams for yourself, just putting it out there. Mm-hmm. I think it's also important not to have that on your mind when you're doing the daily work of learning. Absolutely. And just work on these small things. Yeah, that is a good point. Yeah. It'd be good to refer to it in the very beginning as as something that you remind yourself of as you go into the day. But yes, you do want to release it and then just bring all of your attention immediately to the task at hand. Right. Yeah, it's a great point. Okay. And then as for third takeaway, the one that I was thinking of is that coming back to this idea that uh, Mihai equates flow with optimal experience and he equates that with happiness, maximizing happiness. And I would say uh, that uh, flow is also maximizing learning and productivity and happiness is a good side effect. I want to add on to that because I think that's a that's a really really good last point, and and what that means I think kind of there's an implication carried in that point which is that there's no not only is it true that there's no particular task that's any better or worse than any other one 
So it's like, you know, dropping this kind of hierarchy of, of ideas where it's like, it's better to be on my computer gaming as opposed to mopping, to let go of that and to just let these tasks just be what they are. So does that also apply to levels of accomplishment? Where, you know, suppose you are growing as an artist and you want to create an Instagram following, which I, I'm not too much on Instagram myself, but I know it's like really, really important for, um, for business growth, among other things. And, and so it's, you know, you have your first follower and that feels kind of good. And then you get your first 10 followers and it's very, very tempting to have your first 10 followers and to consider that to be insignificant as compared to, say, 10,000 or a million followers. And there's a certain logic to that, of course, right? Because like a million is much, much more than 10. But the way this whole thing works is that it's always this level of accomplishment and then the next and then the next. And there's no actual milestone or level of accomplishment that a person can arrive at where it's like, oh, like now I've made it. Now I'm here. Now everything's good. There's actually no such thing as that. It's just, it's always like this thing and then the next thing. And so when we can really let go of this idea that there's some sort of level of accomplishment that when we get there, then we will be happy, you know, or, or satisfied or what, you know, or successful or, or free or whatever it is that we're looking for to let that go and to realize, just as you said, just to realize that like the true freedom, the true liberation is just is just finding flow and remaining in flow and then deepening your relationship with that, that that enjoyable creative process over time. Yeah. And I think flow works in that way as an antidote to this idea of, you know, really pushing yourself, burning the candle at both ends, right. being brutal work, you know, being this brutal work master to yourself, etc. Right. Yes. I don't think that's necessary. Neither of us think that ne that's necessary. That's not the way to do it. Uh, it no, well, that's not the way to do it healthily. And I don't think it's sustainable. Yeah, 100%. Okay, I mean, I think uh, flow may well be a topic that we revisit in the future. I'm definitely going to uh, finish reading the book. And uh, all of the links to um, Csikszentmihalyi's work will be in the description. And uh, you can check that out yourself uh, if you want to explore more about flow. And like I said, yeah, we may revisit this as a topic another time, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there, it, it goes so deep, the whole concept of flow. And there's just like so many different aspects and it's so important as well. Yeah, so it's, there's a lot there to discuss and unpack. Yeah, it's absolutely cre uh, crucial to the creative process as well. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if it comes up again in the future. Right on. But thanks for listening and joining us for this episode. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you took something away from it. We're really interested, uh, as I've said before, in, in hearing about the experiences of our listeners. And we'd love to hear from you about your thoughts about flow, uh, whether you've read about it, whether you've experienced it, whether you um, make use of it in your own creative or productive work and uh, how exactly you do that. We really want this to be a conversation and uh, we want to hear from you guys and learn from you guys as well as be talking to you on the podcast. So uh, please message in. You can contact us at the skyward spiral at gmail.com by email and we're also on twitter at skyward underscore spiral that's right uh i'm also on twitter individually i'm at d whitechapel and brent where can people find you yeah so you'll find me on twitter at brent the coach 
And you can also, I have a full free training on getting into sustainable high-level productivity. Uh, it's a, it's a five-part course that you get if you download my uh, my PDF on my website. So just go to brentheris.com. So B-R-E-N-T-H-U-R-A-S.com. And you can also find me on YouTube by just putting my name in there too. And there's just like a lot of free content designed to get you and as many people as possible into sustainable high-level productivity. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, David. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Skyward Spiral. This show was edited by myself, and the musical themes are brought to you by Batchberg Music. Information and resources on today's topic can be found in the episode description. Please rate and review the podcast on your preferred podcast app. It really helps. See you next time.